think somebody was asking me how long I have known Daniel, and uh, I I think it's like 31 years. So we met when I was in preschool, and um, <laughs> he was my preschool teacher. No. Um, I just remember the first time that I walked into the coastlands, which was um, near Santa Cruz, California, and and I knew that I was home. And yet that first Sunday, uh, Daniel had had received a word from the Lord that we were supposed to plant a church in San Jose, which is where I lived. And I can tell you that Daniel has a gift of opening up the word of God and making very deep and complex principles very palatable and very easy to digest. And that's my favorite thing about listening to him talk is he can take the deeper things of God and he can make them simple to understand for, for people like me. So um, I, I deeply respect him. He is well known throughout the entire world. Um, he has many, 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 many spiritual children, many people that consider him their spiritual father. Um, he has an amazing family. All of his his offspring are some of my favorite people in the universe. So could you please join me in warmly welcoming our dad, Daniel Brown. Okay, I don't actually need that. Thank you, Jody. Thank you. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, when I, I was your preschool teacher. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, okay. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good uh, morning. Friday night was the first evening that I was here on this particular uh, trip, and somebody said the nicest thing to me when I was coming in for a little gathering we were having just to talk about how simple it is truly to uh, take the lessons that God has done in our lives, the scripture that he's made alive, the youth camps that we went to, the troubles that we somehow managed to make it through, how easy it is for God to to take those things, and since we're his tool of choice, to pass them along to somebody else so that they get a blessing. So that was the intent of what I was sharing on, uh, on Friday. I have no idea if it worked, but that's what I was trying to do. But as I arrived, somebody said to me, welcome back. And that was meaningful, number one, because, oh good, you actually remembered that I've been here before and that I've spoken. I'm not going to push it to ask you what do you remember me talking about, but just nice to know that you know me. But because it is, for me at least, uh, 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 the, the feeling that this is part of my home and that I'm, I'm here as part of the family and not just as a a guest speaker. So when they were announcing, you know, you can get a free cup of coffee, that's actually true. I did that the first time that I was here. I, I, I did it the second time too, I will acknowledge. <laughs> but, well, I mean, you know, for, for coffee, there's things that we will do that maybe we're not. Anyway, I, <laughs> so I leaned over to Jody and I said, I guess the gig is up for me. I'm probably not going to be able to get a free cup of coffee. And then she had a whole nother strategy for me to uh, uh, try so I am speaking to you this morning, not as some guest speaker, but, um, but I, I believe as a member of the family who has been alerted by the Lord for something that I'm really hoping is going to be meaningful to you. But there's a spiritual principle. By the way, I will say good morning at some point. I will actually begin my message at some point, but that moment has not yet arrived. Uh, <laughs> 
there is a, a, a statement in Scripture where the Apostle Paul says to some friends of his, I'm really hoping to come be with you because the way that it works is that I'm going to be a blessing to you. And, and you know, by staying by myself, it's really hard to bless myself. I try. I lay hands on myself. I say, oh, be blessed, be blessed. It doesn't really work so well for me. And God has arranged it that I'm going to come to you and extend a blessing to you. But I know how it works. That because I'm going to be with you, I will receive a blessing as well. So it's always been my perspective that if if someone is truly functioning in a spiritual manner, I don't mean woo weirdo, weird is not the same as spiritual. Okay, if somebody is functioning in a truly spiritual manner, they are going to receive blessing as much as the people that they're doing their best to bless. And if all of us are concentrating on wanting to bless others instead of to be blessed ourselves, well, this is how the body builds itself up in love and all that. So that was my very long way of saying that this that I want to share with you is very fresh to me, and I believe, just in the short time that I've been here, that God has spoken something to me that's really, really helpful for my own situation. And so may it be as helpful to you. If not, wow, I'll tell my wife when I get home, how was it? Oh my goodness, I learned so much. And that will be the end of the story. Okay, I should probably tell you that in addition to being being an older man, which I can leverage for all kinds of excuses for many things, I also suffered a stroke just a little over two months ago. And it's a long story, but it happened on the day of my youngest daughter's wedding, about three hours before the wedding. And walking my daughter down the aisle was the last item on my bucket list. Now, my wife has added another item to my bucket list long ago. But anyway, her item on my bucket list is that I'm supposed to outlive her. My last bucket list item was to walk my daughter, 36 years old, who found the love of her life and and got married. And I just think, you know what? I just want to do that. So I get this stroke three hours before the wedding. And um, it was an outdoor wedding and about an hour's drive from where we live. And I just thought, no way am I going to miss this. So I foolishly, please don't try this at home. I drove to the wedding and my daughter, who was a cardiologist, uh, she said, Dad, you have to go to the emergency room which I did. And I told her that if the doctor said I could not do the wedding, I would not do it. So the moment that I arrived, I told them, listen, guys, do what you can, but I've got a wedding to go to in just a few hours. And long story short, they did what they could do. And it seemed as though I was getting a little bit better. And so I signed a waiver that I was leaving the hospital against medical advice. Again, don't try this at home. But I, if it, you know what I'm saying? If it's your last item on the list, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about anything else. What am I going to do with a blank list? <laughs> so I was actually able to walk her down the aisle about an hour, about two hours late. But my daughters are quite inventive, and they decided, who says you have to do a wedding in the normal sequence of first the ceremony, and then the pictures with the hors d'oeuvres for the the guests, and then the dinner for all the people who came to the wedding? So after about an hour, they just told all the guests to stand up. We're going to try the hors d'oeuvres. And I'm just sure there were a lot of people thinking, hmm, 
did we miss something? Did I fall asleep? And then they marched them all up to the place where the, uh, the dinner reception was going to be, and they had arranged the tables in such a way that there was still an aisle down the middle of these tables. So I show up about two hours late. I uh, grab my daughter. I don't know who was walking whom down the aisle, but I'm saying that I was walking her. And we made it down there. I I blessed my daughter and uh, my son-in-law. And And then I went back to the emergency room and they medevaced me by helicopter to a stroke center. So it was a little bit, a little bit dicey. And now in the aftermath of that, I know that something about me is different. My oldest daughter puts it this way. She says, Dad, I imitate you, which was horrific news to me. I'm thinking, you what? My daughter, you imitate me? What, what, what could you possibly? She says, Dad, I imitate you, and you now have moves I have never seen. So something has changed. I'm not sure completely. I have a little residual funniness with my, my walk and my left leg. But, but more to the point, I don't know how quite to even express this because my, my, my thinking abilities, my cognitive abilities, that's an impressive way to say how I think, my cognitive abilities, as far as I know, have not changed. But something has changed. And I feel as though I'm a man who has traveled to a far-off country and I am experiencing a kind of a culture shock. And you know what culture shock is, right? How does it arrive? How, why do you experience it? Is because the kinds of things that you didn't have to think about before because you knew how to do them, they were almost instinctual. Suddenly you're in another setting with different customs and different apparatus, and you have to think about how do I do what I knew how to do so easily back home. The best, for instance, is how do you flush a toilet? Well, in this country, for the most part, you just grab the little handle and you push down. You just you might be on the side, might be, you just push down the handle. But you go to some countries and there is no handle. There's just a little silver button that's got two parts to it on the top of the toilet. And you're thinking for crying out loud. Sorry, if this is TMI, think of me as your crazy uncle and, you know, what can you do? But now I have to, instead of just reaching, I have to actually think and push a button. And spiritually speaking, naturally speaking, I am right now a man facing a kind of a culture shock. Because though I have every confidence that my uh, connectedness, my relationship with Jesus is as vital as it has been, and I mean I'm just singing the praises of God, happiest guy going. But something now is a little bit different. And what struck me, and the point that I'm trying to... Did I ever say good morning? All right, well, good morning, all right. And I, I, and I did begin the message. I thought I would encourage you and catch you by surprise that, yeah. Um, what I want to share with you is that I believe all believers on a fairly regular basis go through a season where the stuff that used to be such a no-brainer and the relationship and the patterns of my relationship with God that were pretty well set and established, 
Either I confront a problem that doesn't give way like I thought it would, or something in my circumstances changed so much, and it disorients me a little bit. And the old saying, you know, you start just feeling like something's off, that you feel a bit of a distance with the Lord, and you end up asking the profound question that if we could answer it, if I could write a book that answers it, I would be a billionaire very soon. And the question is this, God, what are you saying to me? Lord, what do you want me to do? If I only knew what he wanted me to do, I would do it. Why do you mumble when you tell me what you want me to do? Now, you probably don't actually say that, but it's the feeling of, am I missing something? God, what, what, what? And unfortunately, many believers feel like, oh, I've done something wrong. They, they want to blame themselves as though they have missed a step. Or, you know, yeah, it's true. I did eat that extra piece of dessert and God had told me to. Yeah. We start getting down at ourselves or we start getting frustrated with him. We start, you know, you know what's the, what is the deal here? And I want to say to you, friend, that if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you will be disoriented by the God who loves you, who wants to constantly lead you and me into things that we don't fully understand. And even though we have been given the mind of Christ, you know what I'm saying? We rarely use it. And we use our own brain an attempt to just figure it out. So I want to share a few scriptures with you that I hope will be profoundly encouraging. And then as well, I, uh, kind of a solution for your dilemma. Uh, if you're feeling like, Lord, what is up? How come things don't feel like they used to feel? And if you're here this morning and you've never yet, as, as Pastor Ira was sharing, never yet encountered the love of God, uh, you might be asking all kinds of, what is going on? But we serve a great and a good God whose desire is to lead us in His way, knowing that the more we learn to follow His customs, see, His patterns, the kingdom of God is guaranteed to induce culture shock for every daughter and every son of God. And we encounter it over time. So here's a little bit of encouragement. I'm going to take you first uh, to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers. And most people can number on one finger the number of times that they have read the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 9 and I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. You probably have heard something of this story before, but the details are very important. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud, this is the cloud of, of, um, of smoke and fire, of the tent of the meeting, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So this, uh, this column of, of cloud, vapor, um, fire would rest over the tent of meeting with God. And so it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. 
And whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. So when it gets up and moves, they get up and move. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. And as long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. And even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remain from evening until morning. When the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it uh, remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they, they would set out. Now here's verse 22, what I want to get to. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered, the people of Israel did not set out until the cloud itself moved. Now we will learn elsewhere that the reason for this, can you imagine what it's like? Okay, maybe the cloud moves three days in a row and quick, get up, the, the cloud's moving and they pack their stuff and off, off they go. And, and then the fourth morning, you know, mom comes in, okay, kids, come on, get up, get up, the cloud is going to move and everybody gets ready to go and they come out and the cloud is there and it's like, whatever. And maybe it's an entire month and it doesn't move again. I'm sure some people, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the cloud. Why isn't it moving? It has been moving according to a pattern that I have deduced from the last four days. We call that religion, by the way. Oh, 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 I know all about the cloud. Yeah, it moves every seventh day following, uh, you know, a quarter moon or something like What? And religion loves to produce formulas and prescriptions that I know I'm doing the right thing, right? Because every seventh day, I get up and I move. But friends, God doesn't like religion. And we discover that the, the pitfall, the temptation, the danger to the people of God was that they would move in presumption. And to teach them not to be presumptuous, God regularly created an irregular pattern. When you think of presumption, okay, in our language... It, it, it's, well, I don't know how else to say it. it. There's an arrogance to it. Oh, yeah, I'm presumptuous. So I step into places that I don't really have any place being. I just presume that because of what I know or where I've been or whatever, I can do what I want. And the fact that I might actually think that what I want to do is the right thing to do we get warned in the ne- uh, a couple of books later uh, in the book of Judges that there's a great danger in our life when we no longer acknowledge an authority, when there's no, in our life, when there's no, um, well, the, the actual word, when there's no king, when there isn't someone who can establish and set boundaries and guidelines or rules in my life other than me, 
then it says that every person will end up doing what is right. And the way the Hebrew translates that is whatever is convenient in their own perspective. Now, maybe you've been a human long enough to realize, yeah, that happens to me as well. That my, uh, my thoughts about a situation or other person, oh, it's so amazing how my thoughts about that situation somehow or another make me the good guy or the, the you know. It's convenient to me. And God says, here is the danger that having tasted of my goodness, having experienced me, having become familiar with me, you and I, we could move in presumption, presuming that we know everything there is to know. You see, I am a mature Christian, which means that I really understand everything, And so if God suddenly does stuff that I don't understand, that I don't have an answer for, I want to discover what's wrong with somebody. And the Lord says, no, this is the point. I will be teaching you your entire life. And by the way, when you get to glory, he says, you know what? You are going to learn so much about me. You are going to actually come to know me as thoroughly as as I know you. But the scriptures tell us that there is no one who knows the mind of God. And without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to us, for the Holy Spirit to say, this is what's going on, this is what God thinks, without that active work of the Holy Spirit, I am doomed to be a presumptuous Christian that in some quarters is called a mature believer. I have no idea, as this stranger in a strange land that I'm now calling myself, I have no idea, will it be two days or one year before the Lord sets out and in our language explains what he's doing, what he's working on, where I'm supposed to go to follow him. And in the meantime, if he doesn't signal to me what's going on, will I just wait? Oh, and by the way, the cloud can move early in the morning, but it can also move at night. So I've kind of got to be, you know what I'm saying, watching the cloud all the time. There is another uh, passage I'm now going to take you to. I'm looking for any indication of when I'm supposed to end. <laughs> oh man, you guys better start praying. We're gonna, <laughs> no, I have an intuitive uh, built-in clock. When people start falling asleep, I know it's time to, to finish. Okay, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 3, a very similar episode. Uh, By the way, I I didn't really um, say in the beginning what I wanted to. Uh, Just about one month ago, uh, I launched a brand new Bible app. It's called Commended from Acts 20.32. I commend you to the word to God and to the word of his grace. And in this, oh my goodness, is it on this? Oh my goodness, yeah. See, that's it, Commended. 
And if you're not so familiar with your Bible, what commended is was a habit that I got in over 40 years ago of reading a pretty good chunk of Bible every single day. And I used to pick out one verse or so from what I was reading, and that's what I would reflect on and meditate on. And what this is, is to give you every single day a Bible verse, many of them obscure if you don't read your Bible very much, and my reflections on that verse. It's not one of these sweet little devotionals. It's like pretty hard-hitting whack, whack, whack at me, and you get to enjoy me uh, slapping myself around and, and, and all of that. So the benefit to you is that without reading a big chunk of Scripture every day, you get a verse that you can meditate on with two or three hundred words to read. You read the whole thing in three minutes. But I promise you, it will uh, stick with you. So, anyways, I like finding these patterns all over the Word of God. And here we are in Joshua chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4. There's a whole story. They've now crossed over into the Jordan River, and they're going to take possession of their land, right? Finally, after 40 years, woohoo, we're here. God's will for my life. And what are they told? Uh, I'll I'll pick it up in verse 2. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And now verse 4. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's 1,000 yards. Do not come near to it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. You see the beauty of being a little bit lost in God, of encountering these seasons when like, oh Lord, I just... I where you are earnestly seeking, what is he saying? What is he doing? And of course, our minds, we want to know what our job is supposed to be and what the end of our days is going to be. And God's interest in your life is so much beyond the kinds of natural things that the Gentiles and those who don't have God worry about all the time. And you sort of wonder if we were to compare our prayers with the, the desires of people who don't know God, sometimes they would sound almost the same. And Jesus says to us, do you realize that that, that life is so much more than bread? And my will for your life is so much more than just you would know where I'm supposed to live and do I take that job or not? His will for our life involves so many things that we don't even have a vocabulary to describe and what he's up to in your life, to frame you for your future, to teach you things that are going to be useful, we don't have enough natural vocabulary or understanding to even come close for God to be able to answer and say, well, what I'm doing in you is A, B, and C. So I think what it kind of boils down to, in a way, 
Will I decide after all of these years of walking with the Lord and realizing that I've encountered a lot of times when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. The Apostle Paul himself, he says, can I describe my understanding about revelation to you? By the way, this is a mirror I'm holding up in front of myself. You're wondering, why is his hand there? I was wondering the same thing, and I just figured out it's because I'm thinking of the Scripture that we see through a glass darkly. He wasn't talking about a window. He was talking about a mirror that was made of polished brass. Ladies, put your eyeliner on with that mirror and you will frighten little children. So the great apostle Paul, he doesn't say, oh yeah, got it nailed. I know everything that God is up to. He's the one that says, ah, it's really blurry. But rather than seeing that as something wrong with him, or a mean God that just won't, you know, cough up a simple answer for me. Rather than being the focus of frustration, Paul understood that we are walking day by day with him. And if I'm coming after, if I'm pursuing, if I'm following Jesus, then even if I don't know where I am or what's going on, doesn't matter. So I don't know what I don't know. And the fact that he is starting to teach me what I don't know, it shouldn't surprise me that I don't know what God is doing. But I can tell you he loves you. I can tell you that he is completely committed to your well-being. And when we come to that place where we say, my times are in his hands. When we say, as Mary did, when she was confused, when the angel approached her and said that God wants to do this this miraculous thing through you that is going to redeem the worlds, uh, she didn't say, well, could you kind of explain that? She just said, well, be it done unto me according to your will. And what a safe place for me to be. I don't know. Is my leg that sometimes is now making, making me trip a little bit when I'm walking, is that ever going to get better? Well, I don't know. And will I fully understand what God has for me in this season of my life? I don't know. But I tell you, I'm glad he's not done with me. I'm glad he doesn't say to me, well, you know... I've thought through all the lessons I could possibly teach you and I have nothing more to say. (laughs) You're kind of on your own. Oh, and by the way, your disinterest in reading my word, no biggie, because there's nothing more for you to learn. Uh, Good luck to you. See you in heaven. Is that the kind of God you want to serve? Who says you're on your own? then when God's timing doesn't line up with mine, when, when he doesn't do what I think he should do, by the way, do you do this like I do? I close my eyes and think and call it prayer. <laughs> because I am so stinking clever. 
and I really know what he should do. But the truth is, right, friends, when we look back on our life and we see the twists and the turns and the comings and the goings and how God arranged all that stuff and we sing a song, you've been so good to me. We couldn't have figured that out ahead of time. So I wish I had a little better news for you. I still have one little solution that will help immensely, but I want to create enough desperation in your soul that you will listen to me for a few more minutes, okay? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Presumption is such a danger that God sent His people into the wilderness, do you know this, for the 40 years. Why did it take them 40 years to get to the promised land? Well, you might forget that he brought them to the promised land fairly quickly. And when they arrived, they tried to do things on their own. And God said, that will not work. And because he then said, listen, you wouldn't obey. Now you're going to they said, oh, oh, well, why didn't you tell us that you wanted us to do this? We'll go ahead and do that now. And God says, no, no, you're missing the point. It's not about what I ask you to do. It's not about where I tell you to live. It's not about what job I tell you to take. That was never the point. The point was that you would do what I ask you to do even if there appear to be giants or difficulties in the land. That instead of figuring it all out and sizing it up and saying, I don't think we can do that, you are listening not to what your eyes see, which is difficult to do. You're not paying attention to what your eyes see and you aren't judging based on what your ears hear. You're not the one who is deciding whether something is possible. You are listening instead to whatever he says to do. And it's so simple. He says, turn left, turn left. Don't consider, well, you know, it's been a while since I've turned left. I'm not really sure if I can. Turn left. So after he told them to turn left, as it were, they didn't do it. They missed the turn off. And then they said, oh, okay, 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 okay. Why didn't you tell us to turn left? Now we'll turn left. Well, there was no street and they turned left off a cliff. And God said, it's not about turning left. But that's what religion tells you. Religion tells you, whenever you come to a junction, turn left. Yeah. No, God wants to lead us. Well, back to the story. So they tried to turn left and get into the promised land. They got totally defeated. And God says, okay, I see the fundamental lesson that my people have not learned that will now take basically 38 plus years to learn is not to be presumptuous. So the reason it took them all that time to get to the promised land, I mean, they could have walked it in a few weeks. But God said, don't move. For one year, you're going to stay here. And the next time we move, we're only going four miles. How many of those people probably were a little bit like, come on, get on with it, God. 
So my question to you, before I get to the happy solution, is anybody still there? I can't really see you. <laughs> you walked out in depression or whatever. Okay. <laughs> what life-threatening lesson might God be teaching you? What game-ending, promise-land-denying bent do you have in your heart or your soul? And because God loves you so much and wants to get you into the promised land, He may have you in a season that corrects that listing of your soul to the right. I'm just saying, He is good. And whatever amount of waiting you're doing right now, whatever the uncertainty might be, if you and I will make it our business to keep praising Him and, frankly, to keep looking in this book, Lord, what of my life lines up with what's going on in here? Because if we take away the Word of God and just try to think it through, especially when we borrow the really impressive-sounding language and principles of the world, we are never going to find where God is taking us. And that leads me to the last scripture and the hopeful conclusion of our message. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Oh man. I have no idea if I'll be able to say any of this to the second service because I'm not using notes. I, so I hope... It'll come back to me, okay. <laughs> this is that fresh uh, to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, I'm going to read five verses, but really I'm only talking about one. But I want you to see it in the context. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about uh, spiritual activity and spiritual gifts and the moving and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I'm going to just key on one verse that I didn't understand until just these last two days, the connection, and I'm really excited about that. Pursue love, he says, chapter 14, verse 1, yet desire earnestly spirituals, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue or prays in the Spirit does not speak to men, but he speaks to God, and nobody understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. I think I'll just stop right there, because that's the verse I want to talk about. Now, what he is describing, quick little context, is that these spiritual enablements that come only by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it's discerning of spirits or word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy is the one that most people are familiar with. These uh, enablements, these giftings, these kind of uh, sparks that, that happen to us only can happen by revelation. Nobody can think hard and prophesy. Nobody can mm, put the clues together and come up with a word of knowledge. It's all revelation. And as part of this wonderful experience that you and I have, 
being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that we receive a language that we didn't study or learn naturally. And it can take a little doing for us to get used to praying with that language because our brain wants to keep praying in a language that our brain knows. And I talked about this a little bit last time that we were together. But but I I'm, I'm just want to highlight one thing of why was the Apostle Paul so crazy excited that he would say to everyone, oh my goodness, I want you all to speak in tongues and I'm glad that I pray in the Spirit, speak in tongues more than all of you together. Now this language okay, can be used at times, and it's what you're most familiar with, called the quote, gift of tongues. This unknown language that I have can be used to prophesy or speak to a group of people and then it is translated or interpreted so that group of people can understand. And it's very clearly that gift, like all spiritual gifts, are for the sake of other people. But what he's talking about here is the facility to be able to simply pray devotionally in the Spirit. And Paul's saying, when you are just exercising your spiritual language, you're not speaking to other people. What you're doing, one of the things you're doing, is you're speaking mysteries in your heart. Okay. Now, if I had more time, we would do more Bible study, and I would take you to a passage in 2 Corinthians, same author to the same people sometime later. And you'll probably remember this episode where he's, he's, he's having to battle these hyper-religious, apostolic kind of great people that are slapping everybody around, and they're just, oh, I'm so spiritual. And Paul's having to contrast himself who was their spiritual founder and father with these supposed great, great leaders. And, and he's very embarrassed by this. And he says, I, I'm talking like a crazy man to, to, in a sense, boast of my spiritual credentials. But listen, you're the ones that are impressed by this. So, okay, I'll give you a little bit of my, my, uh, my, my bio sheet. He says, there was a time when I was caught up into the heavenlies. And while I was there, I heard things spoken that a person is not permitted to speak. And that expression, uh, inexpressible statements going on in heaven, that I... I can't even articulate. And no human can articulate. And by the way, no one on earth is permitted to speak these things. That's this expression. In my spirit, I speak things that no man, no person, with their natural understanding can possibly grasp. I tried to say to you earlier, I don't know if I got around to it, that the what God is up to when you feel the spiritual culture shock 
it's just so difficult to explain because we don't have the language for it. And our temptation, our presumption, is that we think we can think and figure it out. And instead of waiting for God to do what He's going to do, we crowd the ark. And we say, oh yeah, been here, done this, got that t-shirt. I know all about what I'm doing. Because we step out with our brain. I'm not telling you become an airhead for Christ. Uh... I'm not saying don't ever use your brain. I'm just saying if the people of God wandered 40 years and God had to teach them this lesson again and again and again so they didn't move until he moved, it might be a good thing for me having suffered a stroke and trying to figure out, Lord, what are you saying to me it might be a good thing for me to not be quite so insistent. It's like, really, Lord, it has been like, I think, a month. Come on, man, what are you doing? And maybe I need to back up a little bit like I'm supposed to when the doctors say, hey, by the way, this could take one or two years for all this stuff to resolve. And if a physician tells me my physical stuff's going to take a while, I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, fine, fine. I'll be patient with myself. But Lord, I mean, it's really been, what, five weeks? <laughs> Do you remember, I'm, I'm, I think I'm closing with this, or maybe I'll just continue on the next service. I think I'm closing with this. <clears throat> when Moses, think of this now, when Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, receiving instruction from a kind, and good God, a kind and good God for how they were supposed to live in the promised land. He's up on the mountain hearing from God. What do the people of Israel do? They come to a guy named Aaron, a sort of a second in charge leader, I guess you could say. And they say, you know, we really would like you to lead us where we're going to tell you we want to go. Are you good with that as a leader? Will you follow our leading and we'll call you our leader? Aaron was like, yeah, it works for me. That's cool. I'm promoted. And, but, but the people were saying you go this way. And here's what they said. As for that man, Moses, whatever, we don't know what's happened to him. He just sort of disappeared up on the mountain. And we are sick and tired of waiting for him. So can we jolly well get on the way? And where did they want to go? Guess what, folks? Where did they want to go? Back to what was familiar. Back to Egypt. Let us not be like those people who crave going back to what was familiar and comfortable. Instead, let us be people who wait two days a week, a month, or even a year for the Lord to give us instruction. How shall I now live in this person 
that sometimes feels like a stranger. What I'm doing a lot, and I encourage you, I'm praying in the Spirit a lot because I don't know how to think that lines up with what he's doing. Amen? Pastor, I'll call you right back up. Wow. I don't know about about anybody else, but I'm a little bit wrecked. Um, Our great God. I loved what you said, that he is always for our well-being. That everything he does is for our benefit. Even when we feel uncomfortable. So I know there are others here besides just me, who feels this kind of, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? If that's you, could you stand up? Can we pray together? If you're feeling something that Daniel said is resonating in your spirit, even if you don't have the words to identify it, you don't don't know what it is, but there's something. Can we just hold our hands out as a symbol that we want whatever God has for us? Our great God, we love that you don't explain everything to us because we couldn't understand it. These are mysteries. Lord, these are things that are so far beyond us. But we can bank on the fact, Lord, that even when we don't know what you're doing, when we don't understand, we can trust that you are good. We can trust that you know the direction. You know the beginning from the end. And so, Lord, we lift up our hands and our hearts and our spirits to you, Lord. We surrender to you. Lord, we want to earnestly desire your spiritual gifts. Lord, we want to hear by your spirit. Lord, we don't want to lean on our own understanding. Lord, we acknowledge you that right now you're doing something in our hearts. You're stirring us up. And we receive whatever it is that you have for us, Lord. Help us not move in presumption. But help us wait on you and on your voice and on your spirit. As we seek you and as we seek the direction that you are calling us to move. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen.